Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with Darren Woolley. Darren, welcome. Thank you very much, James. So for those of you that don't know Darren, Darren is a, an Australian marketing consultant. He's the founder and CEO of Trinity P3, which is a marketing management consulting company founded here in Australia, um, now has offices in Sydney, Singapore, London, and New York. Uh, Trinity P3 has more than 40 of Australia's top 100 advertisers using their services. Previous chair of the board of the Australian Marketing Institute, a long history as a marketing lecturer. And I think, well, this one you can't deny because it's on your own LinkedIn. Your LinkedIn bio reads, I'm a scientist who got into advertising as a copywriter and ended up a creative director. That's true. All true. That's true. So Darren, welcome to the pod. Um, Today, we're going to talk about how clients actually pick an agency. But before doing that, I think your story um, is such an interesting one. So I think it'd be just good for, for listeners to the pod to just hear kind of how it all started, how it came to be. Well, look, I can go all the way back to uh, you know high school and uh, having do an it. English teacher tell me, whatever you do, Darren, don't go into any sort of profession where you have to write um, to, to make a living because he said your writing is terrible. So that's uh, that's why I ended up a copywriter because you know, people <laughs> joke that you don't need to be able to write to be a copywriter. But in actual fact, it sent me on a, a path to becoming a scientist and uh, doing a Bachelor of Applied Science and working in medical research is where I found myself in uh, my old, early 20s. And... Yeah. Um, and the trouble with science in Australia, most of my colleagues ended up working in pharmaceutical companies. You know, you'd go from science into pharmaceuticals. I decided to have a midlife crisis at 26 and try my hand at being a, a copywriter and uh, managed to get into a course called Copy School at the time in Melbourne, which took yeah. 10 students every year. And you worked with some of the big names in the Melbourne industry, got a folio together and then uh, started working in advertising. But it was interesting because what actually led then, you know, I rose up from junior copywriter to mid-level copywriter, senior group head, and then finally creative director. But the transition to starting Trinity P3 was actually sitting there. I was president of the Melbourne Advertising and Design Club. So, you know, very much focused on creativity. And at the same time, doing a lot of work with... um, with new business inside the agency at the time, which was J. Walter Thompson, which is now known as Wonderman Thompson. And it was interesting for me, I guess, from a scientific or analytical perspective in that uh, I was talking to clients about new business and talking to the members of the Melbourne Art uh, Advertising and Design Club about creativity and could see a real misalignment between the two because Clients were saying their biggest problem was they felt that their agencies weren't listening to them and creative people were saying they felt like clients weren't appreciating what the creativity that they had to offer. So wherever there's a gap, there's an opportunity and that's where uh, Trinity P3 uh, came from. The idea that rather than working in advertising, I would work with advertisers and their agencies to actually improve productivity and performance of that process. And can, can, I guess it's, it's obviously been a, a long journey in the business, but fundamentally, what is the business doing now? Because I think you do different things for different 
kind of stakeholders. So just be good to get yeah. a, for listeners to an understanding of um, core services and, and who you're doing it for. Well, a good, a good way of putting it is it's actually in the name. You know, when we talk about Trinity, people wonder what, you know, whether it's a religious movement, but that actually is the marketers and their agencies and suppliers is, is two parts of it. But the third part for many years has been finance or procurement. So that's, we call it our unholy trinity. You know, we've really got three stakeholders here, procurement, marketing, and uh, the agencies. And what we do is we help, the P3 stands for helping people achieve their performance, creative performance, um, commercial performance through creativity. Um, and so, you know, that's the focus of what we do is really all aspects. And that could be helping a marketer restructure their roster of agencies. It could be uh, realigning an agency's performance using their fee structure, the way that works. It could be looking at uh, ways of improving collaboration. Uh, there's a, a wide range of different services we provide primarily for larger advertisers because it's the larger advertisers where there's a huge amount of complexity. And, and one of the killers of creativity can be complexity, complexity of process, complexity of organisational complexity. And so one of the things that we try to do is rather than ignore complexity, we embrace it and help people navigate their way through that so that you can, you know, it's that old saying of uh, how do you, um, how would you carve a bull? You get a, la a lump of marble and just pull off all the bits that don't look like bull. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's that sort of feels like what we do a lot of the time metaphorically, because I think yeah. when an agency and a client and the procurement teams are deep in the process, they often can't see what, what it was that they were trying to do in the first place. It's a good observation. So a big part of the work is to help brands, advertisers go out to market and find the right agency for their problem or the right agencies to, to help solve a problem. Love to dig into that topic today. Like how do clients go about picking an agency and what works, what doesn't, what are the misconceptions? Um, and what are the, the things that we can learn? Of course, on? yeah. And, and when you think about it, selecting an agency is probably something that most marketers would probably do less than once a year. You know, it would be a very hard thing as a marketer to actually build uh, a skill set in through practice because it's not often that you're running pitches. And if you are, you would have to ask yourself why you are changing agencies so often. And there are marketers that are renowned for changing their agencies like they change their underwear. But um, I think what we've seen is, is a, a use of pitching or a use of selecting agencies that goes beyond just finding the right partner. You know. People talk about the fact that the average tenure of the client-agency relationship was, you know, up to seven, seven to ten years, as recently as a decade ago. Now we're talking about three to four years, and and there's often that question of why some people put it down to, you know, it's sort of the same tenure as the CMO. You know, we've seen the average CMO tenure drop to three to four years. I think it's also the use 
by procurement especially of at the end of every contract period wanting to go to market as a way of testing the incumbent and one of the things that uh, we keep highlighting to our clients is a tender or a pitch and i'll use those terms interchangeably while we talk about it but that's a great way of selecting a new agency it's the worst possible way of actually testing an incumbent. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Think of it as a relationship. And, and for most people, their primary relationship is their domestic one. So imagine tonight going home to your domestic partner and going, well, it's been three great years, but uh, it's time to renew whether we're going to commit for three more. I tell you what, let's both go out and date other people and then we'll get back together in three months. Uh, and decide whether we're still committed to this relationship. I'm not sure that's a winning strategy. <laughs> and in some ways, it's even worse because it's the marketer who's going out to date other agencies while the agency sits there hoping that they're going to be selected after that process. So yeah. I think you can see in that metaphor that the, the use of pitching or tendering as a way of testing the incumbent is really, really flawed because you are more often than not going to select a new agency than you are to commit to the existing. And all of the data supports that. The chances of an incumbent winning a pitch is only one in four. Yeah, I think I read something similar recently. And was it, I think, in Marketing Week, maybe? It was around like 24% or something like that. Um, and I, it's often, I think, putting my rocket hat on, we pretty reluctant to go in often when it's an existing client that is going out to market with a big RFP, big pitch. It's kind of, well, something's not quite right here, right? Well, it's, and it's really tough as the incumbent. You know, what do you do? Um, you know that there's going to be lots of other agencies that are going to offer, you know, the world. They'll, they'll promise anything. And yet as the incumbent, you know the limitations of the relationship. You know what the marketer can and can't accommodate. You know where their strengths and weaknesses are. And besides, if you suddenly go in with an offer that's better than the relationship you've had, the question would have to be, well, why didn't you offer that in the past? Why have you suddenly discovered this amazing transformation to become the agency that I could have over here? You know, I think it's really tough to put your incumbent to that sort of test. And yet a lot of marketers will say to us, oh, yeah, but the incumbent knows our business better than anyone. You know, they've got the inside running. No, the fact that they know your business better than anyone is actually yeah. a, a limitation to their ability to compete with everyone else. And I think we find that. Like it's obviously there's I think what we're talking, the conversation here is broader than digital performance. I think we're talking creative and media and a whole bunch of things. But in the small space that we play, often a key part of pitching is to diagnose issues, right? You're diagnosing what's wrong with SEO or wrong with your Google ads. And if you <laughs> diagnose anything, it's like, well, you've been responsible for it for the last two years. Why hasn't it been fixed? So it becomes a very difficult um, kind of <laughs> conversation to have. But I'll just, I'll just uh, pull you up there because the other reason is that practical measurable problems are often the symptom of an underlying problem that is often less tangible. And it's the same reason, you know, when we're talking about how clients pick agencies, they pick agencies largely on a sense of shared uh, values on, you know, people call it chemistry. Um, and when things go wrong, 
they will pull out the tangible things, you know, and this is why you get all sorts of weird, oh, yeah, well, you know, for, for you, Google AdWords is not performing as well as it did or you know, more um, nebulous. Uh, the creativity isn't up to what it used to be or, you know, we don't feel the strategies align to our expectations. These are pragmatic ways of really articulating the sense of we don't feel you love us anymore. Mm or we don't feel you're aligned to supporting us anymore. You know, and yet that, that's quite a difficult conversation to have in a business context because, you know, what do you do with that? Mm. What's your observations then? So when should you go out to market and throw it open versus not going back to the partner and saying, hey, we've been together for three years. Maybe it's time for us to see other people and come back together if we want to. Like, what's the ba- <laughs> what's the balance? Like, when do you go to your incumbent and say, let's let's fix these issues before we have to kind of go through that process? Like, how do you know when you've got a good agency? Uh, look, most people would intrinsically know. Yeah. yeah. If you've got a good relationship, you feel that you're aligned, that you're working well together, that there are no major issues, that uh, you feel like you're getting you know, value for money because the agency is going above and beyond, you know, that they're proactive, whatever it is that makes you feel that this is a good relationship, you know those things. And, and that's why it surprises me because many of the surveys are really just trying to quantify those feelings. The ones that go into, oh, they do a good job here or they, you know, they're responsive here, that's trying to drill down into that more pragmatic area. But what I'd yeah. say to people is if you have a good relationship, even if you have a, a generally good relationship, but there's a couple of issues, you're better off trying to work through those with your incumbent agency. You'll never solve those problems by going to market. All you'll end up with is a new agency and often with the same problems. The time to use a tender or pitch is if you either need some capabilities that none of the agencies you're currently working with can provide or the relationship that you have with a particular agency is irreparably damaged. And, you know, People often say to me, oh, yeah, but also when there's a new CMO or a new head of marketing, they'll often get a new agency. And that in some ways is often triggered by the fact that the incumbent agency never quite engages with the new CMO to make them feel like they're their agency. You know, mm. a lot of uh, a lot of CMOs will contact me and go, well, I've been in this job for four to six months. And you know what? I've never met the CEO of the agency, of my incumbent agency. And you just think this is ridiculous. You know, why wouldn't you be in there on day one or day two or day 10 talking about, you know, well, what is it? What's your vision? And really get to align your agency to the new vision and the new expectations. Because every person has different ways of working. They have different expectations. And so when they end up going for to tender in the first three to six months, it's often because their transition into that role and the ability of the incumbent to engage them has been flawed, fatally yeah. flawed. And I think that's something that took us longer in business than it should have to realize that, right? Once you have turnover in key marketing roles, it's 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 basically, um, it's essentially a new business, it's a new relationship, right? Absolutely. And you've got to get in there and um, what remains the same and what, what, what things are different and 
how do things have to be approached in a different way to kind of reset the relationship um so i think that's probably probably some good advice for the um for anyone agency side listening to the pod yeah look you know like when you've got a new uh, especially senior marketer, you need to actively engage with them and not engage with them in a way of, well, this is what we do and here's, no, but actually sit down and say, okay, we've been working well up to now previously, but we want to understand where your vision is. What is it that you, what does success look like for you? Because here's the thing, if the previous marketer left because of underperformance, you're already tainted with the association of underperformance. If the new yep. person's come in promising major change, don't become the change of agency is the first sign of yep. major change. Change the agency to actually meet yep. those expectations. That's it. And it's so easy, I think, in those contexts that for agencies to be blamed, right? Oh. So come in there and kick the door down and, you know. Well, especially if you're it. not proactively going almost over the top to say, hey, how do you want us to change? You know, because we can meet yeah. any need that you have. But I've yeah. seen agencies, you know, they've got a campaign that they developed with a previous CMO. The new CMO comes in with a mandate to change. That's how they got the job. And yet the agency's arguing for keeping the existing campaign. It's not going to win. <laughs> you might as well just shoot yourself in the foot and hobble out of the room. You know, it's, it's that bad. So... How do clients pick agencies? We we are let's let's pretend that um, the relationship's terminal or the the need is something that the current agency panel can't fit, um, and so a client quite rightly puts together a RFP or a tender process. Um, in your experience, how do clients actually pick agencies? Look, it's really interesting because you know the first thing I'd say is they should select a very good uh, consultant to help them navigate this path. But do do you know yeah. one? <laughs> I might know one or two, um, but honestly, you know, consultants are really only potentially managing less than 10% of the tenders in any market, right? So the first thing is, how does a client, a marketer, or even their procurement team start to select agencies? One of the things they can do is they could, you know, do some advertising and run an open tender. But what you end up with is lots and lots of agencies tendering for your business without any filter as to whether they're the right agencies. You know, you could get all sorts of people doing that. Um, what a lot of marketers do is they'll ask around all their colleagues, anyone in the industry and say, who are good agencies? You know, and they'll prepare a list from that. They'll also prepare agencies from who do they read about? You know, and we have a, a, a saying that I picked up years ago that the average marketer has room in their head for three agencies in any category. That's the one they're with, the one that they've probably worked with previously and one other. So when it comes to agencies marketing themselves, positioning themselves, what they need to do is to think about how do I get into that third slot? You know, and we all know and we hear of agencies that everyone's talking about and we wonder why they get lots of new business opportunities because they've found a way to get into that third slot, either through PR or winning, you know, PR through winning awards or winning business. You know, there's the hot agencies that uh, clients want. Mm. The, the downside, and this was quite funny, I had a financial services client that was looking for an agency in a particular category, which was uh, agribusiness. 
And they said to us, oh, no, we don't need a hand. We've got a list of agri-agencies. Oh, how did you get that? Oh, we just got everyone to ask their colleagues. Well, I said, oh, could I have a look at the list? And when I looked at it, all of those agencies were working with other financial services companies. They were all conflicted because, of course, they'd asked all of their colleagues that worked in financial services who then named the companies that they were working with, and there's a conflict of interest. You know, so it's it, it's really hard. And believe me, agencies don't make it easy. You know, agency websites don't tell people a lot about what they actually provide. Hmm. You know, it's very hard looking. By the time the uh, the animations and all all those things load, they've moved on to the next uh, next website. Even to find someone, you know, if you type in um, digital agencies Sydney you'll get a big there's long the, list. the rocket website, Darren. Sorry? Number one. There's the rocket website <laughs> coming up number one. Well, and, but that's <laughs> right. But there's also a lot of other agencies there as well. And yeah. if someone's trying yeah. to get a sense of the, of the marketplace, it's really, really difficult. That's why a yeah. lot of people then will, you know, a lot of marketers and procurement teams will resort to a RFI where they go out and just invite a lot of agencies to submit some documents to tell us about yourself so that we can start to get an idea of who it is. And what do you think of that process? Just as a, a broader, just give us some credentials. Where do you sit in the market? What do you do? What do you not do? Like, Do you like that approach as a start? Look, it's a good starting point if you don't have anyone to actually help you or, or if you're not sure about what it is that you're looking for. You know, I think yeah. it's better to be informed and then be able to put together a a longer list, we'd say six, no more than six to eight. But, you know, you hear in the trade press of someone going to market and it'll be reported that they've invited 12 or 18 or 20. They've really invited them for an RFI to provide yeah. their credentials as a way of filtering through that. I mean, I think um, recently uh, Fiji Tourism was, you know, they went to LinkedIn and asked everyone to submit their credentials and it, they got over uh, 100 agencies. Now, that's a lot of filtering time and being able mm. to filter. And are you really filtering for the best agency or the ones that write really good credentials? Because sometimes, you know, there's a bit of the, um, the cobbler's shoes that the agencies that do the best work are not the ones that necessarily write the best credentials. Mm. So, you know, you do have to be careful with that approach. But Look, I have to say it's probably the only one if you don't have a rich source of industry knowledge to help you navigate that through that. And would someone like Trinity P3, if you've got a client and they need a creative agency or someone to manage media, would you be recommending putting agencies forward or would you be um, just overseeing the process that that client is taking? Like, what's the what's the involvement of someone like yourself? Well, look, I think this is one of the um, the key uh, misnomers about the pitch process because a lot of agencies think that we go along and recommend agencies. So, you know, you should talk to this. What we do is, the first, us particularly, is that we sit down and we spend a lot of time really exploring with the client, what does success look like? We really want to know what it is that they're trying to achieve. You know, and, and is the pitch the right thing in the first place? Because often, you know, last year, over 60% of the marketers that approached us for a new media agency ended up not doing a pitch. They actually went back 
and we did a review of their incumbent instead. Going back to that earlier point about you know yeah, don't use yeah. pitches, we we convinced sixty percent of the the companies that came to us saying we want to pitch a new media agency. When in actual fact, they really just wanted to make sure their incumbent was fit for purpose. But then we will go to, we have a database with which has over three and a half thousand agencies on it. And then we'll start looking through that for which are the right agencies that fit that brief. And we will sit down with the client and take them through all of those strengths and weaknesses, why we think they're a good fit, uh, things that they need to consider. And we'll ask them to get that list down to no more than six, perhaps eight at the very most. And, and the point that of that is then we'll go to an RFI yep. where we'll ask for specific credentials, usually around case studies of particular aspects that the client would value in an agency. So, you know, give us an example of where you've used data to inform a uh, strategic process and creative or uh, show us where you've been able to, you know, for media, where you've used media channels to specifically target difficult to reach audience or whatever it is that is the particular challenge the client has. That then gives them a sense of who the agency is and what their capabilities are. And then we have the all important chemistry meeting. And I say it's important because I would say that chemistry capabilities is a table stake. If you can't do the job, you shouldn't be in the room. But the next filtering process is, who do I trust? Who do I feel I could work with? Who is the one that I think we have the alignment, the rapport, the cultural uh, connection that we could work really well together? Because You've got to remember, in most cases, you should be appointing an agency for you know three years plus. So you're going to be doing a lot of work together. And so getting that alignment is the right thing to do. A lot of clients will use creativity or they'll use a media brief as a way of testing the relationship. And the problem with that is it really just tests their ability to deliver one solution. Now, if you're going to market because you just want someone to come up with the, the idea for you, then it's probably a very good way of doing it. You know, and government is often uh, doing this. You know, they'll go to market just to get the campaign. But for the bulk of commercial organisations, marketing organisations, they're really selecting a relationship. And that's why this chemistry meeting is so important. So, so much of what you've said, um, just so many overlaps with recruitment, like where you were kind of talking about, um, you know, Fiji Airlines or Fiji Tourism getting 100 RFIs coming back at them and potentially just picking someone that's really good at putting, you know, a creds deck together versus someone who's actually good at delivering. It's kind of like a job interview being someone can be great at an interview, but can they do the job? And then actually working with someone it's you know you kind of take for it's a given that the person has the competency to do the job but then the cultural fit kind of tying into the chemistry and three years is a long time it's probably how long you're going to work with someone and that kind of all those intangibles probably trump the ability to actually do the job at at some level it's Um, more complex though than a job interview because of the dimensionality of it you know that someone comes into the room and you interview them and and you interact with them it's one person 
And if they start being three different people or three different personalities before your eyes, uh, it could be quite difficult. And also that's who you're hiring. So one of the big concerns for marketers is, oh, first of all, have they sent the A team? You know, the team that just does the pitches. And then I'm going to be working with completely different people later. That's their first concern. The second is you've got to look at more than just the individuals, but also how do the individuals interact with each other? You know, I remember running a chemistry session for a company that, you know, its culture was very, very respectful. And yet the one of the agencies actually started an argument between themselves in the chemistry session. And the client turned, after we'd shown them out, the client turned to me and said, well, if they can't work with each other, they can't work with us. <laughs> and they were a bit surprised, actually, because that's <laughs> the way they operate. But it was, you know, that's a, a overt example of a cultural misfit. And we, um, from our experience, there's certain agencies who I think are really comparable to us in terms of what they do and who they do it for, culturally very different, not better or worse, just different. And... I will speak to clients that end up picking us over them. And often it is. I like the dynamic of yourself and David when I spoke to you guys pre-sale or I walked into your office and I felt a certain way and I spoke to those guys and I thought they were pretty arrogant. And that's just when there would be other clients that would lean into that confidence and and the way that different agencies are. And that's why chemistry is so important. And, And when I say that, agencies will often say to me, well, how do we manage chemistry? Well, it's not about managing it as being aware of it. You know, in many ways, you have to be true yeah. to the culture of the business. You, you, but you can do things like casting. You know, you can do a bit of research if it's an, you know, a client that you really want to win. You can find out the culture of the place. You, know, you can ask around. You can get a sense of, if the, is this a real in-your-face type company that likes plain talking or are they more laid back and considered and then cast people in that into that meeting that actually play to those strengths you know so so there are things you can do if you find yourself trying to be someone you're not then I would say stop you know because it either happens and that's the interesting thing as well you know it's amazing we'll often organize a, a 45 minute one hour um, uh, chemistry session, but most clients within the first 30 to 60 seconds have already decided what sort of agency you are and whether they like you or not. Yeah. And then the rest yeah. of you know, the other 59 minutes is collecting all of the evidence they need to support that. And someone said to me, you know, an agency yeah. said to me, so what do you do If you can tell, if you're reading the audience and you can tell that the client has decided they don't like you, the only thing you could do is totally disrupt the the meeting in some way to reset their perception. Yeah, and it could be as simple as just reorganising where people are sitting or, or to actually, you know, acknowledge and go, look, I think we got off on the wrong foot, for instance. Say something that disrupts their thinking process and hopefully then, you know, land with a different perception or, or at least get them to rethink the perception that they had in the first place. Have, have you seen that work or is it first impressions count? And No, no, I've seen it work. There. I've seen agencies that uh, didn't necessarily make the top of the list in the chemistry session still go through to the next and absolutely turn it around. Just going back one step, um, 
six or eight agencies generally at this stage yeah. when you said RFIs? You want to bring like your shortlist? We'll shortlist from that three. Okay. So we start with between six and eight agencies. We think they could be a reasonable fit. We go out to them and we ask them to respond with... Yeah, some examples, line, case credits, studies, you know, case just studies. to answer the question, do you have the yep. skill sets and capabilities that we're looking for? From that, we, you know, if, yep. if, even if we'd um, asked eight, we don't necessarily see all eight for chemistry because if some don't fit, then we wouldn't include them. But you see all the ones that have potential and then from that, we would want to get to three after chemistry. After the chemistry. So four, five, six chemistry sessions, probably, roughly? Yeah, probably five or six. Yep, okay. Um, we have those. We debrief afterwards, didn't like it, didn't sit right, felt there was something there, felt that they were excellent. Um, then we're down to three. Yep. And then what's the kind of, what's the general process from there? So then we go into, rather than, do, we're not big on speculative creative or getting agencies to do things in isolation because we believe that by working together, so so we call it the test drive, you know, we'll often then work out, um, organize half day or full day workshops, depending on the client's appetite for the client and their team to work with each of those agencies on a strategic problem. Now, if it's a, if it's a media uh, pitch, it'll have a particular channel or media focus. If it's creative, it'll have a, a comms strategy focus. If it's you know digital, and it's interesting because digital and creative or digital and media are often ending up very similar, but it's really solving some, you know, discussing and trying to solve some big, you know, major issue or challenge that the client has. Now, why is that good? Because rather than sitting there in a presentation mode, it's a workshop where both the market and we say to the, the marketers, bring along the team that is going to be working with the agency. And we say to the agency, don't bring the people that do your presentations, bring the yep. people that are do the work on day-to-day -day basis. So the client can really get a sense of who the agency is and the agency more importantly, gets a sense of who the client is. And sometimes where we're doing creative or digital, we'll even have the media agency send along people into that process the incumbent media agency to get for them to have some input into it you know this really is a opportunity to test drive how everyone's going to work together and would that be paid like would the would the the client be paying the three agencies for the day of work or is that kind of part of the cost of the pitching we'd say that's part of the cost of pitching because it's certainly yeah. much cheaper than working on a speculative creative brief and working that up yeah. into hundreds of different executions. Yeah. So so it's a half day or full day workshop. And often it's more about testing how the agency thinks and approaches the work rather than necessarily the solution they come up with. Because let's be honest, a pitch is no way to actually develop a strategy solution. You know, it's such an artificial construct. Having said that, by turning it into a workshop, clients will often say they get more out of that than allowing an agency to go off and work on something in isolation and then come back and present it. You know, so we actually, we've been doing these workshops since 2007. It was actually something that uh, I first heard about and saw working in Europe back in 2007 and we just adapted it for for the way we work 
Interesting. And do you find do you get pushback from agencies because it is a little bit atypical to the general kind of pitch approach, or do you find they like it because it's rather than spending your 120 hours putting a deck and um, putting your creative forward, you get to just do it live? Yeah. Um, in the early days, yes, there was you know people were surprised. You know, we had one agency who were great at presenting. And they turned up at the workshop and they presented for two hours. And then in the second half of the workshop, it was like, well, what happens now? And in fact, as we've rolled this out into the US and the UK, the agencies are really confronted by it. You know, at the moment, we're running a, um, a uh, pitch in the, the UK and the agencies are going, well, when do we present the creative and when do we present the media plans? And we're going, no, no, the, this workshop, is where the client is assessing hmm. not just your ability to do the job, but your ability to work with them, how well the teams get along. And, and clients, you know, they're a little bit confronted, even clients are confronted by this process when they first hear about it. Because the idea of having to do three workshops with three different agencies, but every time at the end of that process, the feedback is it was so valuable provided them so much more detail about the agency, gave them such a, a better understanding of what each agency was like to work with, hmm. that at that stage, they're really clear on who they want to work with. And so that's why in the background to those workshops, we run the financials so that at the end of it, uh, we can sit down with the marketers and they can go, well, agency B is our preferred. How do they stack up financially? And then we can have that conversation around value. Because if agency B is better than C and A, and they're a little bit more expensive, then that's good value. Yeah, and that was going to be my, like, are you saying that's running, that's in parallel or that's post these three sessions? So the, there are three. The financials run in parallel with the workshop. Yeah, okay. So while the, the teams in the workshop, the, the, the agency finance people are filling in our Excel spreadsheets, we're doing the analysis. Then after the workshops, we have a meeting with the client. We say, okay, you've, you've had three experiences with three different agencies. Let's rank them which was the best to the worst, why, what was it that was good, what was not so good. And then when they've made that choice, we then overlay that Well, Agency A is X dollars, agency B is 2X, and agency C is X minus. How does it, I'd love to hear your insights into value and price and cost and procurement and are businesses buying on value? Is it a race to the bottom? It probably depends. Like I'd love to yeah. hear just what actually what happens. <laughs> the old consult. The old consult. It depends, right? So, so here's the thing: uh, most marketers will have a budget, and most marketers will know what or think they know what they've been paying the incumbent agency. So, from a procurement point of view, if they are focused on cost, they will be looking to reduce the cost. The thing is that unless you know what the agency produced previously the cost alone is not enough. You know, you might know how many people were working on your business, but what did those people produce? And these are the conversations we have. It's also, you know, when people talk about benchmarking, uh, they'll often mean average benchmark. So of everyone in the industry doing what you do, what's the average cost of that? Whereas we always use a high, medium and low benchmark. 
because then you can get into a conversation of, well, do you want what some people would call a tier one agency? Because this is what the benchmark would be. Tier two is somewhere in the middle, you know, and tier three is, you know, below average, below the median or mm. below the average, because, you know, that they're important conversations around setting expectations of what you're going to get, you know, trying to get a tier one agency with great credentials and great track record and then squeezing them down. You know, and I had that conversation once, you know, the client had left the incumbent in against all recommendations and the incumbent was half the price of the other two agencies and they're going oh but look how much we could get you know it's like they're half the price and i yeah. said well Doesn't it's like work. you drove to this meeting in a you know datsun 120y to use a, a 20th century <laughs> metaphor we've taken a bmw and a uh, and a mercedes-benz for a spin but when you've seen the price you're telling me you're happy to go in home in the one the 120Y, you know, you've got to see the price for the 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 quality and value of what you're yep. getting. Now, and I think that's a real really important consideration because what is value? Well, value is not just the price of the people, but what those people are going to produce for you. And produce from a productivity point of view is about the volumes of work that they're going to produce. And from a quality point of view is going to be the outcomes that those uh, that work is going to deliver. So in the case of Rocket, you know, it's not just, well, you get 2.5 people FTEs for that price, but yeah. those people are going to be expert in paid social or paid search and we will deliver, you know, your target is growth of X percent. We buy into that and we're going to work to deliver that. That's it. And I think um, not even just in digital marketing, but more broadly, with creative space, um, media buying, you want you want an expert doing great work, not someone average doing lots of work, right? Like the power of an idea or the power of solving a particular problem um, over just having someone doing executing against a bad idea or James that's a much here. bigger conversation because <laughs> in actual fact the way social media and digital channels the the plethora of an expansion of those and the volume that they consume in content means that marketers today have to play a quality and volume so performance yeah. and productivity because yeah, we we uh, we've been tracking agency outputs by brand. You know, in two thousand and five, it was around two hundred to two hundred and fifty outputs per brand per year. Now it's two and a half thousand plus. Now why is yeah. it two and a half? Well, how many Instagram updates do I need? Yeah. How many Facebook carousels am I going to need? How many? You know, and so on and so forth. You know, how many uh, uh, digital display ads and and uh, YouTube pre-rolls am I going to need? So there's yeah. this, suddenly there's this volume. Where you want the quality is in the thinking and the original execution of the idea. Where you want yeah. the productivity is in the rollout of that to be able to produce large volumes fast. And this is where things like automation should be much further advanced in the industry than they are. 
I mean, that's a yeah. different conversation. It is different. I think like the tactical execution, obviously, if it is literally just a commodity, then you pay as less as you possibly yeah. can for and, it. But... but they're the conversations that we yeah. try and force with the client because, you know, the agency will in many ways want to have the same fee end-to-end. Absolutely. And we, say, and we say, well, no, what, let's <laughs> let's think about where value is created. Value is created in strategy, ideation, and, and, and then the implementation. Yeah. Where in that part is their value and where are the parts that we should be looking for economies of scale or, or cost reductions? Yeah, which makes sense if you're on the other side of the fence. Yeah. I'd like to dig into because I think that's like that's a really good process, right? As to kind of how you go, it's almost like a funnel, right? In terms of how you move through and whether you actually should even be part of it, going out to market and, and looking for for a new agency. But presuming you are, presuming you go through that process and do it well, what are the actual like? What are the things that are driving clients to pick an agency outside of the things we might normally expect? You know, price, case studies, competency. Like, what are the, the things that you've seen that we might go, hmm, interesting, would have thought it, that wouldn't have played a factor when it does? Or the things that maybe conversely we would typically think would be big factors in picking an agency, but clients actually don't seem to care too much? Yeah, so some of the, uh, some of the things that agencies think are important, you know, like awards, creative awards, for instance are great for agencies to recruit people, but are not necessarily that interesting for clients. Um, case studies for other clients. You know, agencies will spend ages developing a beautiful bit of film to show a case study, which is all about the performance of the campaign. And yet, you know, for a lot of clients, unless it's in their category or unless they know the brand well, is, is they don't see it as either relevant or believable mm -hmm. because a lot of clients will sit there going, yeah, this is the agency's take on it. It's not necessarily what really happened. Yeah. You know, so I, I say to agencies, you know, just be very careful. Um, if you're presenting awards, present them in the context of, the ability to attract great talent to your agency. Interesting. Don't just present them that, you know, it's not a fig jam moment, and I'm sure everyone knows what that means. Um, if, you're presenting, um, if you're presenting case studies, use the case studies to actually illustrate or support the point you're trying to make. And, and the one I always say is, if a client says, how good are you, James, at actually collaborating with other agencies? Because it's really important. Now, the case study could actually be about collaboration. Mm. It doesn't have to be a, a case study about how you got $400 million worth of free media equivalent value out of a viral ad that you did. Yeah. You get what I mean? Just go to the because it, it's a way of proving the point rather than just, you know, you can imagine the, the, the dumbest answer to that is, oh, we're really mm. collaborative. As opposed okay. to, here's an example of us working with three different agencies for this particular client and we did this and we did this and we had these meetings and have this this spreadsheet internally yeah. and whatever it might be right and yet a lot of the the things that clients are looking at uh it's it, their tick boxes do they have the skills and the capabilities yes uh do they do they understand or appear to understand my business and my challenges do i think these are people that i could work with and help me achieve my goals yeah they're the they're the three main ones that they're looking at. So yeah, okay. So chemistry session, 
big time in terms of that rapport relationship what's that actually going to be like yeah which is and look something something has changed you know in the 80s and 90s last century uh agencies thought it was all about showmanship you know and coming in and putting on a bit of theater and being slick in actual fact and and particularly during the pandemic when pitches were happening virtually you know on video conferencing it's come down to authenticity being real listening not talking over each other or the client you know responding to questions in a thoughtful way not waffling on for ages you know about something that's really totally irrelevant yeah these are the things that everyone picks up on Hmm. interesting the um and that kind of feels like a broader theme right across marketing in general right where i think um we talk about it a lot on the pod where brands have less power than they used to have in terms of controlling the buyer journey, giving information to customers um, when the brand wanted to. And now it's kind of gradually been changing, whereas customers, we have more control. There's more user-generated content about in terms of reviews. If you're buying a car, you're not just looking at what the manufacturer says about the car and um, authenticity, video, kind of are these themes that I think are we're having to move and, and gradually evolve towards compared to where yeah. we were. Um, now, the other thing I'd say, James, is that that's the performance of the pitch. The other thing that's really important is getting the paperwork done properly because no one chooses an agency without, no marketer chooses their agency without having to go back and have to justify it to someone, whether it's the CFO or the CEO or, or head of sales or whatever. So, so that's one of the key things is to actually you know, make sure your paperwork gives them the support that, you know, they can then justify that decision. What are we looking at there? Are we talking terms and conditions or commercials or... No, no, no leave, the leave behind document yeah, okay. that supports everything that was said, yeah. you know, that meets all the criteria. It's a bit like, you know, you, you bought that uh, prestige luxury European car because it just made you feel really good. But when you get the glossy brochure out, you, you point out all of the rational reasons why you actually made that choice. And that's for, for the agency what the role of the leave behind is. And core, character, uh, core, core includes in a good leave behind? Well, just uh, lay it, if they've given you a structure, lay it out in the structure that they've given you so that they can easily navigate it. Make sure that you answer everything, but don't waffle. You know, just give the core information that's required. So this, this sounds like it's you passing the university test back in the day in science. <laughs> just answer the uh, question. Yeah, but, <laughs> well, and, and that is one of the issues. You know, years ago when, when uh, I was talking to marketers and they go, agencies don't listen to. Yeah. One of the ways that we, as agencies, we send that message to clients is the client might ask uh, something like, um, James, do you have the ability to be able to use my first party data to make our social media paid advertising more effective? Now, the answer to that is yes, but most agencies will then waffle on for 10 or 15 minutes, not just answering that question, but trying to answer every other possible permutation combination or hidden question that could be inherent in that question. Yeah how we do social media, how we do digital marketing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, just to answer it and go, but would you like me to go into more detail? Yeah. 
says that you're actually listening and engaged yeah. and that you're not there to try and, you know, big note yourself or, or prove something that actually doesn't need to be proven. Yeah. And I've seen agencies, I'll say to them, look, you've got an hour for chemistry. I wouldn't take more than 20 or 30 minutes to present your agency and then have 30 minutes of conversation. And at 55 minutes, we're going, you know, time's up. Yeah. You're not, and they're still talking about themselves. You're not, you're not building a relationship by talking about yourself at 55 minutes, right? That's right. That's good. Um, Darren, there's some great stuff in here, um, which I, I don't think I can launch this pod because I think I'll just keep it for, for Rocket's benefit. <laughs> 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 why, why, why would I give the, uh, the competition any insights into how clients are actually exactly. procuring marketing <laughs> services? Um, we always have the question of what's one piece of marketing advice that you'd give to an in-house marketer? Well, I would say um, that the thing is just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And that this is why anyone that uh, is working in marketing should be very clear on their strategy because strategy doesn't just tell you what you should do. It also tells you what you shouldn't do. And so if you've got a strategy that you can use on a day-by-day, minute-by-minute basis to help you inform your decisions about that, you will never be in the situation of feeling like you have too much to do and too little resources to do it. That's an excellent takeaway. I like that. Um, And I said that was the last question. I'll ask one more. Uh, Where can we find you? Well, uh, trendyp3.com is our website and uh, also on, uh, on LinkedIn as well. But, uh, you know, I'm happy to have conversations with anyone that's interested in improving the productivity and performance of their marketing. Excellent, mate. Well, um, thanks for that. We'll get you back on because I know there's lots of different directions we could go with with conversations around marketing. But um, thanks a lot for coming on to the pod today. Thanks for listening to the Smarter Marketer podcast. Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.